drove my M3 back to the bank, lost everything, living in our, about to move into our friend's basement, my pregnant wife, bankrupt. I filed bankruptcy on my 30th birthday. And I remember borrowing my dad's car and getting on the freeway off 106 South and it kind of goes around this corner and the sun was coming up. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm free. Because I'd realized all my stuff, all the money, all the houses had been owning me. Like I didn't own anything. It all owned me. If you're looking to leave the nine to five and to elevate your side hustle, the Hustle the Day podcast is the podcast for you. Your host, Trent Bray, left the nine to five grind behind and is helping others do the same and focus on the future. Hear from others who have done it and how they did it. Jump in as we talk entrepreneurship, mindset, and strategy. Just take it one day at a time and hustle the day. On this episode of the Hustle the Day podcast, I am fortunate to have Jared Bringhurst on the show. There are so many ups and downs in the entrepreneurship world, and Jared is vulnerable and shares them all with you. But he has an amazing story of where he is now today. You're going to want to check this one out. Let's jump into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle of the Day podcast. My name is Trent. Super excited to have Jared Bringhurst on the show today. Jared, why don't you jump in, tell my audience a little bit about yourself. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Jared Bringhurst, born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah, and really at the core am an entrepreneur. I was the typical story, you know, eight-year-old selling lemonade, except if you're familiar with Gary Vee, he always talks about attention. I'm like, I was the king of attention because I figured out when you're eight years old and you're selling lemonade on kind of a busy street, the way to get attention is stand in the middle of the street because then the adults would stop. They'd yell at you, but then they'd buy something because then they'd feel bad for yelling at you. So me and my friends would sell lemonade and cookies and stand in the middle of the road. And I remember my mom was a teacher raised by a cop and a teacher. There was no support for being an entrepreneur. This I'm 41. This was 33 years ago. And it is true back then that an entrepreneur really was called a business person was essentially a failure. Like you didn't go to college. It wasn't looked um, up to. And I told my mom when I was eight, I'm never going to go to college because you don't have to go to college to be a business person and broke her heart given she's an educator, but you know, I made good on it and been an entrepreneur and self-employed for 20 years. I haven't had a job in 20 years. I left my final job at a retail auditing firm and um, just vowed to never go back. And I built multiple seven figure businesses my last business did a little over $20 million in five years, and I've gone broke twice as well. I've been through the the depths and the highs. I've got a 10-year-old daughter and a six-year-old daughter, so I'm a dad of two daughters and recently divorced and rebuilding like a lot of people during the pandemic. So um, that's a little bit about me, man. I'm really excited to be here. I just really thank you for having me on. I'm excited to uh, talk about life and business and what it takes to be successful in this world. I appreciate that. I, I, you know, I love that story. You know, my daughter is eight right now and she's got a dog service business and, you know, we live, we live on somewhat of a busy street. So she'll be, you know, waving the sign out, trying to get people to bring their dogs in and get them washed. And, you know, she does poop cleanup and all that stuff. And, you know, it's great that, uh, you know, me being an entrepreneur myself, you know, I definitely support her in that. Have your kids taken any interest in that sort of stuff as well? 
Oh yeah, man. My 10 year old ran one of my sales meetings for 35 salespeople when she was seven years old. She had a timeline. She had it all formatted. She was actually listening to a call I was on with one of Grant Cardone's main people. And she, I didn't realize it, but she had one of my ear pods in and I had the other one in, we were on vacation and she was taking notes. And then she wow. showed me her notes and asked me if she could run my sales meeting. She held the floor for 25 minutes. At, she was either seven or eight. She's red hair, blue eyes, left-handed, all the recessive traits. And she crushed. So yeah, and she actually is the exact same thing. She's got a dog service building, uh, our uh, business. I just moved, so I'm living in an apartment right now. And she she's going around. She goes to the dog park every day to make connections and does dog walking and all that stuff. And um, I've raised them in my businesses, you know. In fact, it's it's a trip now because uh, before it was I would leave the house, I would take them to school every day. I still do, and then they wouldn't see me until nighttime because I'd go to the office and I'd build a business. And sometimes they'd come to the office, which was great. But COVID's been a real blessing in some ways. I know it's horrible and people are going through some pretty horrendous things. And I think that you know, it, uh, I love the whole Phoenix, you know, rise from the ashes. But the, for me, the rising from the ashes has been, I've been able to build a business, a new business, which started in March, right when COVID hit and have my kids home a lot of times when they were home from school to see what it's like to have dad build a business, to be involved in it, to meet my people. And they've fallen in love with my entire team. I've got over 50 agents um, all across the United States and, and they know them and they've never met most of them until recently. So um, it's really cool. And my six-year-old, she's so funny. I've got this, those big post-its. Do you know those big um, post-its that are massive that you can hang on a wall? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? She wrote one of them and it goes, start zero, next $60, next, you know, $100. And then it goes all the way up to 600,000 or more. And then it says, you know, Miliari group at the top and our, our team. And, you know, I just really love watching that with my kids and they want to be entrepreneurs. Great. If they want to save the world, great. If they want a job being an attorney, awesome, whatever they do, I'm going to empower. Yeah, no, I, I get that. There's a, there's a lot of power and your kids understand that those options are available to them. It's not a one size fits all like society tends to yeah. kind of make you feel uh, at times. So that's awesome that you're teaching that and embodying that. And that's killer that your daughter was able to run the sales meeting. That's that's awesome. I hope you were able to record that. And <laughs> I do. I actually do. I've, I've got a record. You want to hear another funny story about her? Absolutely. So I did uh, that business. I started in, uh, what was it? 2014. And it was a door-to-door business. So I was practicing the pitch. I was getting to know it before I went out to Indianapolis to train for three weeks. And I'm practicing the pitch. And my daughter says she was four, four and a half at this time. And she's feisty. You know, she's, she's no joke. I thought the whole redhead thing. My mom's red hair, blue eyes, left-handed, the exact same thing as my daughter. I'm like, oh, that's just whatever. They're not that feisty. Yeah, she's feisty. And she says, come on, dad. Let's go practice. You practice on me. And knock on my door and I'm going to answer it. So she walks in her bedroom, shuts the door. I knock on the bedroom. Coo, coo, coo. She opens the door. I started my pitch. I get about 20 seconds in. She slams the door on my face. Then opens the door and says, Daddy, do it again until I want to buy windows. <laughs> That's my girl. She's a, she's a little 
gangster like that. <laughs> it was, I was like, I just got the door slammed on me by my daughter. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is interesting. My, my daughter's a, a little bit more accepting than that, but I think that's great that she put you in that situation because you're going to get that situation. Oh yeah. Well, I think, I think door to door definitely toughens your skin and Unfortunately, and fortunately for me, I've never been in that situation where I've done the door-to-door thing. Uh, how do you think that has prepared you for what you're doing now? Look, I've, I've, that was, let's see, I was 35, 36 when I started that business. And I've been in, look, I think everything's door-to-door. Uh, you know, I did real estate in 2004, five, and I, I, I always wanted to be an investor. I did not want to be a real estate agent, but I got my license and I would sit at Starbucks and holiday right off. There's this place, if you're in, in Utah, 4,800 South and Highland Drive, there's this little Starbucks there, really nice neighborhood, kind of a wealthier neighborhood. I would drive there every morning, six o'clock, throw on my suit, be sitting there with my computer, the big, huge Dell computer. And I'd sit at the table that sat right above where you put the sugar and all that stuff. So I'd watch people drive in. Oh, there's a guy in a nice Mercedes. I'd watch him walk up. He'd go to put the show. Hey, how you doing? And then I'd get back on my computer. A woman would come in with, you know, whatever, really nice Acura or a Bentley or whatever. And I'd make sure, Hey, how you doing? Good morning. Make eye contact. And then every single time after three, four, five times of seeing me there every single day, dressed up on my computer, I'm like 24, 25 years old. By the way, that's door to door. That's making a relationship. That's talking to someone. They go, what do you do? What do you do? I see you here every morning. You're all dressed up. You're here every morning. And at 25, I've closed almost no deals. I would be like, I, I represent investors. I find them deals that are really hard to find and make money. And that I did deals from Starbucks like that. I was driving. I had this little tiny house that my father had bought on 7200 South and 5th East in, in Salt Lake City. And it had some land. And I always dreamed about buying all the other properties by us because it went straight back to the park and, and building it out. None of them were for sale. But one day I finally got the people behind me to sell, sell or finance their house to me. I'm 26 at this time. They had a massive property. So now I got the one that goes back and then over. So now we had on a busy street and the side street, we had a property. And then I was like, okay, well, now I need to find somebody to build it. And there was a guy across the street building townhomes. So he was walking across the street. I stopped one day, said, hey, I love your townhomes. Those look great. What's your name? His name's Danny Rains. He used to be a, a professional basketball player. He's semi-famous in, in Utah. And we created a relationship. I told him what I was doing. I said, I'm going to buy all these houses right here. He's like, they're not for sale. I said, I don't care. I'm going to buy them all. He came over. His business partner came over. They stroked a seven-figure check to buy the rest of the properties with no contract. They'd never even really seen anything. So but that is door-to-door to me. That's sales. That's that's not just sales, but it's, I hate when people say sales, like it's manipulation. Sales isn't manipulation. Manipulation is manipulation. Sales for me, people always tell me, oh, you're a perfect sales guy. You're such a good sales guy. I'd never be able to sell um, used cars. For example, I'd never be able to sell a used car. Never, ever, ever. Why? Because if it broke, I'd feel horrible and feel like I'd need to take it back and fix it. I would just feel so guilty. But even if it wasn't my fault, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Let me replace that. I'll fix it. Six months later, I'd be like, oh, I can't believe the thing I sold you broke. That's how I was. But it's also why I've been successful. And in my window company, I would replace people's windows. I would eat money if they were upset a little bit. And it was the the same thing back then to create the relationships. That's what I cared about was the relationships. So we 
build that development out. And then unfortunately, you know, we were right in the middle of building everything in 2008 when the market crashed. And I watched, I had a rental property. I had two spec homes. I had a house we're flipping, uh, residential and commercial development. My wife was pregnant with my daughter, Aurora, and we couldn't build or sell fast enough to keep up with the market crashing. Hmm. And I went from, you know, being early 20s, making really good six figures, having millions of dollars of real estate ready to pop. It was it. I was, I was set to within four months. I'll, I'll never forget this. I was driving home. I was living in one of our investment properties, townhome. And I pull up and I, I was like, what is that sign out there? The sign in my yard. And I thought, you know, those aerating signs? I thought maybe the, the place had that lawn aerated. No, they, my house was going up for foreclosure for auction. And I walked in my house, I went down to my basement and I cried hysterically. And it was one of the first times I was actually scared for my own kind of safety. You know, like I'd never had suicidal thoughts, but I was a little scared because I didn't know who I was. I was, I thought I, I felt like I was losing me. And my wife at the time was upstairs showering. She didn't even know I was home. And I called my dad to come over because I was scared and he came over. My dad was the best man. And, uh, yeah, I'll never forget going through that hardest time ever. I just was talking about this. And then three days later, drove my M3 back to the bank, lost everything, living in our, about to move into our friend's basement, my pregnant wife, bankrupt. I filed bankruptcy on my 30th birthday. And I remember borrowing my dad's car and getting on the freeway off 106 South. And it kind of goes around this corner and the sun was coming up. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm free. Because I realized all my stuff, all the money, all the houses had been owning me. Like I didn't own anything. It all owned me. I didn't have possessions. My possessions had me. I had my identity wrapped up in all my stuff. I had who I was wrapped up in success. And that was the, the time I got free from all that. Like knowing that this is just a game. It's all a game for me. And like no longer being wrapped up in my success. And I've been able to go on and build multiple businesses. I went broke again after that. I've got, I sold a business for over a million dollars. They still owe me the money and didn't pay me. So, but the ability to just move on and know none of that stuff means anything about who I am was the best lesson I could have ever gotten. But at the time, it sure didn't seem like it. Yeah. So yeah, I know that started out with asking me about door to door, but I think it's, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you honestly, if anybody wants to get good in business, if they're like, what's the shortest cut to get good in business? What's the fastest thing I could do to get good at business, sales, thick skin? Every single person should go get a door-to-door job. Every single person. I mean, Mark Cuban says it. Every, Pretty much every entrepreneur, if you talk to them and go, hey, should I go get a door-to-door job to get really good in business? They will say yes, because it'll teach you self-discipline. Nobody's going to make you go out. Nobody begs you to work in door to door. There's too many people that will go do it. It'll teach you how to take a no because business is a losing game. Business is like baseball. You know, if, if you can bat and hit three out of 10 pitches and get on base three, not pitches, three out of 10 times at the plate, you're going to the hall of fame. So you got to re- realize the hall of fame baseball players lose 70% of the time. They fail to hit the ball and business is the same way. Sales is the same way as, if you close 20, 30, 
of your appointments, you're probably going to make millions. And if you're not, you can probably get a job that is making millions because you're good at that. And I think the best place ever in the entire world to get trained on that is door to door. I mean, if you're going to have to have a job while you're building a side hustle or something, go have that job be door to door. And if you're afraid of it, definitely go do it because you'll learn very quickly. You're capable of things you did not think you were capable of. Yeah, absolutely. It's about getting comfortable, being uncomfortable, right? Totally. Totally. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's crazy. The, the story that you just relayed though, obviously nobody wishes for those things to happen, but I think that put you in a lot better position now to be able to take advantage of those things. What, what lessons have you learned? I, I know you talked about some of the lessons you learned, but in terms of like leveraging yourself for your business, what have you taken from that, from those two previous experiences? Yeah. Well, the number one thing I would tell, I was arrogant, incredibly arrogant. And I mean, I still am to a degree. I think to be a businessman, you've got to have some level of arrogance of nobody's going to tell me what to do. I know better than you, blah, blah, blah. Right. But I remember early on, somebody, a good friend of mine, Rob at the time said, don't buy that car. Don't buy that car. It was like 1200. Listen to this, man. I was paying a car payment that was $1,206 a month. My mortgage was 1150 plus and I thought I was a baller. I was only making eight, 12,000 bucks a month. And I'm spending that much on a car. It was stupid, but I wouldn't listen. I know what I'm doing. I'm making money. I'm making more than you. Don't tell me what to do. I'm so smart. So the number one thing I would have done is gotten a mentor. I never had a mentor other than the books I read growing up. And in fact, I didn't have a mentor until recently. This year, I didn't have a, a mentor until I joined a thing called RTA Syndicate. And that was the first time I've ever had somebody that was where I wanted to be, that I listened to and followed. And my three businesses that I made millions and lost millions, had I had mentors early on, I don't even know where I'd be right now. I don't look back on it and regret it because now I can use my story to make a difference and hopefully help people. But in the last year, having these mentors and all the lessons I've learned. So number one, I would say, get a mentor. Number two, do not buy into the leverage yourself to the hilt. I don't care if it's leverage your time until you have none left. I don't care if it's leverage your money until you have no room. Don't do it. Don't do it. People that are really wealthy do not leverage themselves where you want to think about it. Like if there's a shift in whatever market you're in, are you going to go broke? If the answer is yes, you're too leveraged. You're too leveraged. And the mentor thing would have helped me with that. And then the other thing is pour into personal development. That's one thing I did right. I've done personal development for 20 years. I led programs for 15. I grew up one of the most shy, introverted kids you've ever met. I Look, I in high school, I didn't go to a single school dance, not prom, not homecoming, because anytime a girl would even be in my vicinity, my blood would turn cold. Like, I don't know if anybody, if you've, have you ever had that experience where you're so nervous, like you feel like your blood turned cold? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. That was me my whole life. <laughs> until I started doing personal development and I did a course called the landmark forum and it instantly altered my life. And I got, I really got, Oh my God, other people are just as afraid of me as I am them. I'm not that different. I thought I was special. I thought I was different, which is also arrogant by the way. If you think your problems are special or they're only you no. And when I started just telling the truth and putting my story out there, I realized everybody feels the same way and I'm not that different. And so personal development, get a mentor, and 
you know, that, those are the two main things that I've learned. Then the next thing is cash flow. Cash flow is king, not sales. People say sales cures all. No, it doesn't. Not if you have a spending problem. Sales will ruin your life if you have a spending problem because you'll just be more in debt. You'll have more that you owe. Um, you know, so cash flow, profit. Watch how much money you're actually, you'll have, hear all these Instagram people, seven figures, seven figures. Ask them how much they took home. Ask right. them to see their tax returns. Because I bet most of them took home less than six figures. Because they probably had to spend 900 to sell the million. Yeah, I'd rather sell 400,000 and make 200,000 on 400 than sell a million and make 50 grand. Mm -hmm. So cash flow, profit, mentor, personal development. Focus Absolutely. on can't go yeah. Wrong. Yeah. Personal development is something that I've only been involved in probably for the last four years, but it's made a tremendous difference. And I was just talking with somebody uh, yesterday uh, on another podcast interview, but uh, we were talking after the show and the we both agreed that the only shortcut or cheat code that you have in business is a mentor. Seriously. I mean, you can take the experience of another human being and then not make all the mistakes they made. And I don't even care if it's business. If you're into rocket science, great. Go learn from the best rocket scientists and make sure you're, you're, you're taking what they got and don't make those same mistakes. Now you've got a, a great mentor that kind of introduced you to your business that, that you're doing now. Um, but right now your business involves, and you know, honestly, it, all business really involves networking and making those right connections. How have you seen making that shift in networking over this past year? Man, so um, yeah, I'll tell you the story of that. So I did, like I said, in my old business, we did over 20 million in sales in five years. And here's the thing, when you don't watch cash flow and profits, five years in uh, certain business models, I mean, I sold 3.2 million the first year. That's a really sexy number. What's not sexy is I lost 150 grand the first year. And by the way, for a business that's a franchise, that's good. That's what people need to get. That's good. People are like, oh, you're killing it. You only lost 150 grand because I got franchise fees. I had overhead. I had employees. I had leases. I had startup costs. I had overhead before we would install the windows. I had issues. I had chargebacks. I had services. All the things you don't account for, right? So started crushing it. Ended up in a lawsuit. Lost a couple of my main salespeople. Boom. In February of 2020, so right before COVID, I met with my attorney on a Friday for lunch. And I looked at her and I said, what am I going to do? Get in a lawsuit and to stay in business with this person and fight for what? And I said, do I just let it go and start over again? She's like, look, I'd bet on you any day of the week to start a new business. And that day I decided to let my business go. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. I was, it was really hard, but it was crazy because that exact same day, a man by the name of Ed Milet got on a Zoom call with me. I hadn't spoken to him in six months. I knew him from that Arte syndicate that I was in. And he said, hey, brother, how's business? I said, it's funny you should ask me that, Ed. I just met with my attorney today for lunch. I'm going to turn it back over to my franchisor. And he said, you know what, brother? Oh, God. It's all God works in mysterious ways. And Ed hadn't been in the business for 12 years. He'd been a chairman. It, we own a financial services agency. We make a massive difference. We educate people on financial literacy, which is something I'm very passionate about. We are not financially literate, especially in the United States. Um, we are not taught. I mean, think about it. In high school, you don't even learn about mortgage interest. 
how to read a 401k, how to sign a lease, or really how to save. And those are things everybody's going to deal with. We barely even learn how to balance your money. So I'm really passionate about educating people and how to build money and how to compound your money, how to double your money every seven to 12 years, how $300 a month when you're in your 20s can turn into millions when you're in retirement. Um, that's the kind of stuff I'm passionate about now. And that's the business we got into. So I went from a business model where it cost me, I had no mentor. It cost me $100,000 a month before we sold anything. So I woke up every day stressed. It cost me over $200,000 for the franchise fee and to get started. I had no real system to really plug into to the best mentor in the world in Ed Milet, in my opinion, who authentically cares because he doesn't need the money. The guy's not getting back into this business for the money. So you know it's authentic that all he wants to do is make a difference to a system that has zero overhead pretty much. It was a couple hundred bucks to get my license. And then I built a already six-figure profit, not sales, six-figure profit business in my first year from home during COVID, during a pandemic, on Zoom with the most incredible people ever. And we're expanding massively. I've got over 50 agents all the way across the United States. I haven't met most of them. I've never met these people. And we've been able to do that from what you're talking about networking, because one day I decided, hey, I'm going to get in this group called the syndicate, which was very expensive. And I'm going to take a risk. And the best thing I got out of it were my relationships. Some of my best friends in the world are from that. It wasn't even necessarily the information I got, though that really helped as well. But the relationships I have from there, some of the people that I'm now connected with, and then obviously just being able to be connected with Ed Milet and nurturing that relationship. And by the way, I nurtured that relationship without expecting him to ever do anything for me. It wasn't like, ooh, I can't wait to get into with Ed because he's going to one day call me and I'm going to be in business with him. It was, I just love the guy. And that's the thing about networking people don't get is it's tough to stand in the middle of being broke or needing something and still be unselfish. But if you can stand in, hey, I'm going to trust, whether you trust in God, the universe, yourself, whatever your thing is. And you can trust, hey, if I'm really good and just give people value, it will come back. And if you're selling something, if you just trust what I have people need and want, and you just come from how they're going to benefit versus you needing a sale versus you needing the next thing, you needing the next recruit, you needing the next whatever. It happens in love too. If you're sitting in a relationship and all you want is to get love from them because you're not okay, it's going to poison the relationship. But if you're, if you're completely okay and you just give love, then it set, tends to circulate right back. That, and that's the same thing with money. It's the same thing with energy. It's the same thing with time. It's the same thing with influence. Networking is that. It's an exchange of energy. That always says life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. And here's the deal. I'll tell you my last two years in a synopsis. I, right before my birthday, went to dinner with my father two years ago. My birthday is December 17th. So I just turned 41. I went to dinner with my dad on a Thursday. We had sushi. He didn't feel well. He'd been a little sick, a lot sick. I flew the next day to Scottsdale to, for my birthday. On Saturday morning, I had to fly home because my dad was in critical condition in the hospital. On Monday morning, I held my dad's hand while he died on my birthday. So while I'm crying in the corner at 8.30 in the morning, looking out the window, 
and my phone's sitting between my legs and I've got tears running down my face. I just lost my dad. My phone starts binging, right? I hope this is the best day of your life. Happy birthday. You know, the Facebook messages, the texts. And I looked at, I, I looked down and I was like, all right, well, I got two choices right now. My birthday forever is going to be the worst day of my life and I'm never going to want to celebrate it again. Or like everything's a story, right? Everything we, any, it's all a story. That's a story. Oh, it's the worst day of my life because my dad died. And I thought, you know what? Every year for my birthday, instead of being this depressing, upsetting thing, I'm going to celebrate the man who gave me life and my life and honor him every year. So for the last two years, that's exactly what we've done. So I lost my dad. I ended up in a lawsuit with my franchisor. I lost my business. I lost a lot of friends from that business as well. There were a lot of things that did not go well in the closing of that business and people's feelings were hurt and upset and all the stuff. I left, ended up in bankruptcy because of all the money I owed from the business to the suppliers and the people. Not only that, but then went through a really hard time. I've been married for 13 years, been with her for 16. My wife and I, two kids, decided to, we chose to really end our relationship. It wasn't a battle. I love the woman. She's and Jamie. She's the best human being. I honor her as a mom and my, you know, partner for so long. And but you know, so all of that plus ended up getting divorced and building a new business. So it's not, by no means like rainbows and skittles of you know unicorns prancing through oh he did business with ed and it's all blah 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 no it was the hardest time of my entire life and guess what now standing here even though i'm not making millions yet standing here with the business i've got the relationship i've got the love i have for people and myself and my kids and the freedom i've got i would trade everything i've been through in the last couple of years to be where i'm at right now and that's tough to trust when you're going through it but one of the tricks i have to trust it while I'm going through it is what's this going to look like as a chapter of my book or a scene in my movie? I'm like, Oh wow, this is going to be really powerful for people to make a difference when they hear what I've been through in the last years. And then I come out the other side, you know, nobody likes, nobody relates to, Hey, I started a business when I was 20. I've made millions of dollars. I've never had an issue since I was happy ever after and everything's good. Nobody's going to go, Oh, I can totally relate to that. That's exactly what my life was like. <laughs> but when you go, Hey, I've been broke a couple of times. I've gotten, you know, I've been out to have to sleep in my friend's basement with my pregnant wife. I've lost my dad. I went through a divorce. I COVID, I blah, 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 like that. I just picture it as man, when I come out the other side, I'm going to be able to tell a story that's going to make a massive difference. And I try to keep that in mind while I'm going through it because it just, it makes a difference for me. The context, the, the view of it, the story I'm going to tell about it. I'd rather tell an empowering story than a disempowering one. So I hope that, you know, can support some people that are going through a hard time because I know there's a lot of people suffering out there right now. Absolutely. And I think that's really beneficial for people to hear that because, you know, a lot of people either, you know, are suffering silently or they don't, they feel like they might be alone. Entrepreneurship can really be a lonely Island and, realizing that there's other stories out there like yours that they can relate to is super beneficial. And it helps you understand that even your worst, well, you can just start over again. Really, there is always opportunity out there if you're willing to go out and get it. Yeah. I actually, it's funny because I'm in the middle of doing another course because I never stopped personal development. 
and we were talking. And if you actually run a worst case scenario, that's like a likely worst case scenario. It's not, oh my gosh, I could stand in the middle of the street and get hit by a bus. Okay. That's highly unlikely. But let's take my marriage ending, for example. This is how I dealt with it. All right. What's the worst case scenario? We get divorced. We get in a fight and argue through the divorce. That's a worst case scenario. We end up contentious. We figure it out in court. The kids get impacted. And then like, if you play that all the way out, right? Two years, three years, five years, probably going to be in another relationship. She's probably going to be in another relationship. We're probably both going to be happier. We're probably both going to be grateful. Now, luckily for me, both of us communicate so well. We've gotten along great. We created this whole thing. Like we make divorce look good. We both rented apartments in the same complex. So my kids can run back and forth. We've done dinners together. We did Thanksgiving together. We did Christmas together. We created as a family, like we're one family. And even when she gets in a relationship or I get in a relationship, we created like that person will be part of our family. It's not going to be two families. So I'm really grateful and lucky that I've got someone like that. But when I played out the worst case scenario, even the worst case scenario wasn't that bad. I mean, okay. A lot of people go through that. I'll live. Everything will be okay. And if you can kind of play that out and understand that you really will be okay, but you got to do a likely worst case scenario, not a, you know, step out in the middle of the street, get hit by a train type worst case scenario. Right. No, that, that reminds me, I, I heard a story from uh, somebody local to us, uh, Keaton Hoskins, who, uh, you know, he went through a divorce and he talked about his worst case scenario. He's like, every time you break it down, you're still alive. Like you still have so much to be grateful for. You play out those worst case scenarios. It's really not that bad. Keep going for it because it really isn't that bad when you break it down. Well, if I fail, well, okay, yeah. start over, keep going, do it. Yeah. Totally. And I tell people about that about sales calls. I mean, you know, we're talking about divorce and my dad dying and things like that. Think about a sales call. If people can get, Oh, I'm afraid to make a call. I'm afraid to knock a door. Okay. Play the worst case scenario. Literally the worst case scenario is, and I've done this for years because I trained 300 sales reps over five years about, and I've now got over 50 people on my team, over 200 recruited. A worst case scenario is someone yells at you and tells you to get off their door. That's like worst, worst, worst is they yell at you and you walk away and you never have to talk to them again. You're going to live. <laughs> absolutely and you know what sometimes we get in our own heads and we think about what if they don't like me and you know what it it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things and it's just about doing the rep putting in the reps you know picking up the phone call doing that sales call whatever the case is for you you got to put in those reps you got to develop that tough skin and like you said with the baseball analogy the best baseball players lose 70% of the time. Yeah. And look, I, the couple of things I would encourage anybody that's new to do. Number one, stop following any people on Instagram that don't share the hardships, delete them, stop following them. Anybody who's flossing cars and houses, and that's how they're getting attention. Stop following them. They're poisoning your mind of what real entrepreneurship is. I made over a million dollars in one year and I still drove my 2013 F-150. Now you don't have to do that. I love cars, but I was, I want 30, 40 cars. I'm a car person though. I love everything about cars. I'm one of the guys where if somebody's like, Oh, what's your dream car? I'm like, you're clearly not a car person. If you ask a person what the dream car is, 
If they, if somebody doesn't answer 15 to 20 or 30 cars and goes on for an hour, they're not a car person. If they go Lamborghini Aventador, they're not a car person. That's not a car person because it's like, well, it depends. Are we talking class? Are we talking racing? Are we talking track? Are we talking four wheeling? Are we talking like what world? What, well, what about the motor? Is it electric or is it an eight cylinder? Are we talking 12 or are we talking straight line? Are we talking naturally aspirated or are we talking turbocharged? Like, yeah, I don't know what, that's the world of car people. And I'm a car person. In fact, Andy Frisella is my hero when it comes to that. Cause that's one of the things that he and I got along with really well was cars. So I'm all about it. I want to buy a lot of cars, but a million bucks a year is not enough for me to go buy those cars. And you got to realize that the people that are real, like the Ed Milets, the Andy Frisellas, um, the people that really make real money, they're spending less than five to 10% of their total income on their vehicles. So if you make $100,000 a year, that's you buying an $8,000 car. If you make $200,000 a year, you got a $16,000 car. That's the equivalent of what they're spending. And people aren't talking about that. So stop following the people that are not talking about the real version of what it is to be an entrepreneur. The second thing is make sure that you're feeding your mind with the reality. It's not get rich quick. And if you think you're going to get rich quick, you're going to learn a lot of lessons. And some people just need it. Some people out your audience, some people in your audience will not listen to this. They're not going to take this. They've got to go fall on their face themselves. I respect that. I had to. But maybe there's a couple of people out there that are going to go, okay, maybe if I plug my ears to all the noise and the garbage, because look, the, the car's not going to fix how you feel about yourself. I hate to tell you, if you're a dude and you think the car's going to get you a chick, it's going to. It's going to get you a woman that wants that kind of stuff, which is, there's no problem with that. But then you're going to be complaining about all they want is your stuff. Well, that's how you landed them, idiot. If you land somebody with stuff, they're going to want stuff. Don't complain about it later. I can't even tell you how many friends I had. Dress nice, expensive watches, expensive clothes, expensive cars, and threw tons of money down in the club. And that's what attracted these women. And then six months later, when they're in a relationship with them, they're complaining about all they like them for is their money. I'm like, yeah, dumbass, that's the lure you use to catch them. So be real, be you. Look, I'm starting over again. I'm I'm out here. I'm going to be real. And if somebody doesn't love me for who I am right this minute. Cool. That's a great filtering process. It's for ladies too. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to be a certain type of mom. You don't have to be a certain anything. Be whatever your authentic version of you is. And if somebody doesn't love that fully, by the way, they're not an asshole for not loving you for that. You're just not a fit. It doesn't make them a bad person. You also don't have to talk smack and gossip about people just because they're not into you. So what? Every human being isn't made to be a match. Just have it be a filtering process. Yeah. And you know what, honestly, that can relate to the the sales process too of, Hey, you know what? It didn't work out. They're just not a match for you. That doesn't mean that your product is terrible, that you're terrible, anything like that. You just may not be the right match, but I have to jump back real quick and say, nobody I've ever talked to has understood me as well as you did right there with the car scenario, because uh, it is absolutely not a, a one size fits all. This is the vehicle, you know, kind of thing. There's, there's all sorts of scenarios. Yeah. So you, you, we're talking about cars and how, when somebody asks about you know, your car person, what's your favorite car? It's kind of the same thing for a true business person. So there's a distinction between a business person and someone who's like self-employed because a business person, an entrepreneur is like, you can kind of plug them into almost any business. And people always ask me like, oh, what, what made you so passionate about windows? I'm like, I don't like windows or real estate or wholesale or retail or any of the other. I wasn't attached to the thing. It was business. Now I had to sell a thing or do, like right now, 
What I do is I educate people on financial literacy and I build teams. So I've got a place, what's my product with my team? My product is, hey, if you want to have your dreams fulfilled and you want to be completely unstoppable in building a business at that entrepreneurial spirit, I'm the person to help you build that. You want to build a six or seven figure revenue every single year by working hard and you can even start it part-time? Cool. I'm your person. For my client side, hey, you want to fulfill your dreams and be financially free? You got to be behind it. I'm behind that though. If you want to be able to take your money and put it in places to grow it, to you know, not pay the IRS extra money, I'm your person. I'm your person to make sure that your family is taken care of. But it's the business that I love. It's not the thing itself. I just love the business. So find you can if you're a real business person, you can pretty much find anything that you're that fits that you aren't selling out on your integrity. Like I said, I I can never sell used cars. I don't have a problem with people that do. I bought my truck used. My good friend from high school runs a massive used car dealership. I just for me couldn't do it. It doesn't fit me. So you got to have some self awareness too of what's the bucket you want. Then if you are someone who's I'm so passionate about art or I'm passionate about construction. I'm passionate about plumbing. Great. You should probably partner up with a business person though, because there's a difference between being an incredible plumber and a business owner. My uncle is one of the best finished workers in the entire state of California, finished Zuck's house, Charles Schwab, like all of them. He's the guy, but he would never own his own business. Never in a million years. He's not the guy. He doesn't want to. And that's the other thing is I would just really look, why do you want to own a business? If, if that's not something that fulfills like a purpose in your life, don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. You have to be a business owner. Go be a great employee. Go be a great number two through 50 like Gary talks about. There's a billion different ways to make 100 to a million bucks a year, especially if you're good at sales. So really look, is that really what you're up to? Because if it's not the hard times, it's like people think, oh, I'm going to get in a relationship. My whole life's going to work. And then you talk to anybody who's been in a relationship for longer than a year or two. It's like, oh no, that shit's hard. That takes work every day. Every day it takes work. So there's got to be something that's big enough. So for me, why I run a business and own businesses, because I love empowering people. My team, I've got a woman divorced, had a really hard divorce, two kids, single mom. She's pretty much on her own. Never made more than 20 or 30 grand in a year. Never spoken publicly, like couldn't speak now made 4,500 bucks in a month. She just spoke in front of 50 of our agents and held the floor for 30 minutes. I was in tears because she's becoming someone better. I want to do that for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people on my team. So that vision for me of empowering women and empowering entrepreneurs to add that spark is big enough for me to deal with the bullshit of what it is to be in business, the hard times, the going broke, the, that. So just define what's big enough for you that's worth it. Because you're going to need it. You're getting <laughs> out all Lambos and Porsches and houses and all the crap. What they don't show you is the day I was sitting in the corner of my office with no furniture in it, bawling, hysterically wondering if I'm ever going to be able to build it again. What they don't show you is the amount of times I woke up with so much anxiety, I thought I was going to have a panic attack. And I have had a couple panic attacks. What they don't show you is the amount of times we drive to work wondering if we're full of it. Wondering if we can really do it. Wondering if the team, if we're going to let these 50 to 100 people down or what, how many other people on your team. They don't show all that. It's, it's upsetting for me that people don't show that too, because that's the reality. You know, it is, 
hard for people to see past the glitz and the glamour. They just want that. And honestly, I think that relates to the money side of things too, is if you're chasing the money, it's not necessarily the best scenario for you either, because in those situations where you're down and out and you're upset, you've got imposter syndrome, whatever the case may be, the money's not going to pull you through. It's the purpose. It's the, like you said, the, the woman who is changing her life, that those are the things that pull you through those difficult times. Yeah. That's one of the things. So I'm on that new app clubhouse and people talk about imposter syndrome a lot there. I honestly only think imposter syndrome comes from people being inauthentic, pretending like they, th- this is the biggest issue is if you're going to pretend like you're somewhere you're not, you got imposter syndrome because you're pretending like you're more successful than you are. And there's this whole thing about positive affirmations. They're great, but don't lie. Look, I'm rebuilding a business. I'm not making a million dollars a year. I'm making six figures a year, my first year, which I'm proud of. I'm starting over. I am divorced. I am all those things. There's not much anybody could say about me or to me about my life in a public forum that I haven't put out there myself. I owe people money. I'm paying people back. There's a guy I owe 200 grand to. I just hung out with him a little bit ago because I'm in communication. I'm not hiding anything. And if you're hiding something, and lying about who you are, that's imposter syndrome because you are being an imposter. You are pretending like you're more successful than you are. You are pretending like you have your shit together when you don't. You are pretending like you know things you don't. And if you stop doing that, you won't have imposter syndrome. Just own it. Just own. Like if you want to go down any track of anything that has to do outside of business or kind of personal development or family, I'm going to stop talking. (laughs) I'm not talking about physics. I won't talk to you about history. I won't talk to you about geography. I won't talk to you about pretty much any other subject because I don't know them. And I'm not going to pretend like I do. That's imposter syndrome. But if somebody's talking about one of those things and I start pretending like I know what I'm talking about, then I'm going to have imposter syndrome because I know I'm lying. Yeah. So it's okay not to know. It's actually refreshing when people are like, I don't know. I can find out, but I don't know. Absolutely. And you bring up Clubhouse. Uh, uh, you know, we, I just was hosting a room before we got on this call and we were talking about authenticity and how Clubhouse helps you break through that. You can't hide behind fancy pictures. You can't hide behind uh, produced videos and things like that. It's just you talking right there in the moment. And I think that's why it's grown in popularity over the last month or so is just because people can be their true selves on it and they don't have to worry about it. And, you know, nothing's being recorded and used against them later. So they can be, they, they can be who they're supposed to be. Yeah. I think clubhouse, one of my favorite things about it, I think, so we're in the media age of everything's burning down. People are divided. People are horrible. People are not safe, live in fear, live scared of people. Everybody's out to get you. They're the opposite side. Whatever side you're on is the worst. Clubhouse is really just showing uh, there's a whole bunch of people. All they want to do is give value in every single area of life. That's all they want to do. They want to give people value. That's yeah. it. And I think it's showing authentic humanity that humans want to help. The problem is most of the humans that want to help are quieter than the ones that don't. So what gets loud in the media is the negative. What gets loud in attention is the negative, but it's like 0.0000000001% of humanity. It just doesn't represent humanity at all. So that's one of the things I love about Clubhouse. And, you know, I don't know where it'll be in a year, two years, 10 years. I'm definitely going all in on it. But because of the thing you said, it, 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 
it shows people that are authentic. And for any new entrepreneurs, I would highly recommend getting on there because it will it will expose the people that only can post curated or copied content. And it'll show people who have actually had experience and they're telling stories and know what they're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it really is refreshing to to see that because through this time, like you mentioned, the, the media is telling you how awful things are right now. And then there's just this, everybody on Clubhouse who's just chugging along like normal and we all respect each other and uh, respect different points of view. And that's what is really happening is yeah. that that's where the truth actually is happening. <laughs> it really is. It really is. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate, yeah. but it's, it's what it is. Yeah. Well, I don't want to go too far off uh, <laughs> into the weeds there, but um, you know, one thing that I typically ask people since it is the hustle the day podcast, how would you personally define the word hustle? differently than most people. Um, I respect people that work a lot of hours. Most of them are full of shit. 99% of people that are talking about working 12, 13, 14 hour days, if I follow them around, they're not. They're hanging out on Instagram, they're hanging out on Facebook, they're walking around, they're bullshitting. I define hustle and how effective are you in an hour? I'd rather take one hour of super efficient, effective worth from somebody than 10 hours of 40%. So I define hustle as how consistent are you being with your intentions? I define hustle as somebody who says, you know what I want? I want to make 120 grand a year and I never want to work past 530 and I want to make every single dinner with my family. I want to be present with my kids. I define their hustle as how much do they put their phone away? How present are you with your kids? How present are you with your spouse? How present are you when you're hiking? Do you do the things that light you up? Look, I, I love jujitsu. I've not done jujitsu for years because I'm hustling and busy at work. And I'm, I, I sold out on something that's important to my soul to, for what to hustle. There's so many people that are like, I'm building this business for my family, for my kids. And then you go ask your kids, Hey, would you rather have the wealth that your daddy or mommy are creating? Or would you rather have more time with them? I'd rather have more time. hundred percent of the times the kids say, I'd rather have more time. I don't need any of this shit. So you're not doing it for your kids because what they want is you. So just tell the truth. You're doing it for you. So what do I define hustle is who's living consistent with what their life's really for. That's what real hustle is. And some people that is 12, 14 hours a day of work and building and grinding. I think Gary Vee's probably authentically that guy. He's not super passionate about being home with his kids, but he is when he goes on vacation, but he's not during the week. He's not super passionate about making sure he's at every dinner and every baseball game. That's not what he's passionate about. But if you are, are you acting consistent with that? And is your life consistent with what you say about your health, your wealth, your finances, your faith? That's what I think hustle is, is how present can you be with what you're really committed to? And are you taking action consistent with it? That is a perfect example. Uh, you know, I love that. I, the reason I asked that is because hustle to a lot of people has that connotation of grind 24 seven, you know, do that. And I completely agree with you. That is not the case. Uh, for most people. And so I appreciate that you brought that up and it's, it's about setting those intentions and that really definitely makes a difference in how you define the word hustle. It really does. It really does. Not just the intentions. Intentions are, 
I always tell people, you know, you got big dreams and all that, but big dreams with no action is like head in the clouds. And then all action with no dreams is just like super hard work and stress. You got to have the big dreams and what you're up to plus the action and the work. So you have to have the intention and the action to actually have fulfillment. Otherwise you're two on one or other side of the scale. Yeah, no, I understand that completely. So I don't want to take too much of your time. You know, we've already used up the time that I had allotted for this. So before I give a chance for you to plug where people can best find you personal or business, what is it that excites you about the future? What excites me about the future of business is that it's easier and easier to get access to mentors and people. And as long as you're conscious about who you're following and what kind of advice you're taking and be consistent. So it really excites me that people are more accessible than they've ever been and creating relationships and networking is easier than it's ever been. Um, The other thing that really excites me is authenticity starting to rise to the surface where people that are liars and fake and are getting exposed, but I don't want them to get exposed like they're bad people. I want them to get exposed so they can discover who they really are and understand who they really are is actually good enough. They don't have to do all that stuff. I'm really excited for that. And I'm just excited for the future of humanity. I, I will bet on humanity all the time. I know we're going through a really hard time on the planet, but I think it's one of those things where, you know, when you're in the gym, you got to tear the muscle to become the next best version of yourself. And you know, I think we're tearing the muscle of humanity and what we've known each other as and how we've related to people. And I'm really excited for what's going to come of that and the people that want opportunity and they want to start a business. It's easier than ever and it's it's better than ever. And I'm, I'm stoked for that. I think the future is really bright for us. Perfect. Yeah, I love that. Thank, thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and share these incredible stories with my audience where is the best place for people to be able to find you? Man, if you go to Instagram, it's at Jay Bringhurst or Clubhouse. It's Jared Bringhurst. Those are the two places I'm spending most of the time at is Clubhouse and Instagram. And I'm happy to give anybody anything they need. You know, Hit me up. I get back to pretty much everybody. If there's anything I can do to support anybody listening, I'm, I'm happy to provide whatever I can. Perfect. Thank you again. And you know, I know I've gotten a ton of value out of this. So I know my audience has gotten value out of this. So I encourage you all to get out there and hustle the day.